Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Megan Lambert of Macedon, New York. Megan will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Kimmy Smith. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at SVU Season 15, Episode 11, Amaro's 180. Our new mayor is looking for a poster boy for excessive force. IAB is here to serve up tomorrow as the sacrificial lamb. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I'm not quite over you making me do an episode that's so Amaro-centric, but we'll see how it works out. Uh, don't worry, life goes on. <laughs> and rounding out the panel is our special guest from the Athleisure Mag, the co-founder, creative director all-around super person, superhero, Kimmy Smith. Hi, Kimmy. Hi, guys. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. How many different titles do you have at that place? Uh, it's a few. When you kind of, well, you guys know, if you'd run your own business, mm -hmm. um, you kind of take on a lot of different things. And then also just my background in fashion, I've kind of earned those titles <laughs> over the past <laughs> few years, <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we didn't have to convince anybody that we could podcast before they let us do that. So how did you convince people that this would be something that you'd be good at, making models and celebrities look even better? So my background, I've always been in the digital space. I've launched a number of blogs and little content centers, and I've worked with a lot of like really big brands from, you know, coach to this one to that one as a face of their brand, doing HSN face of, you know, brands for that. And then interestingly enough, my boyfriend who works with me and is my co-founder and he also manages me was like, this is great that you're doing all these things, but we need a place to just bring everything together, utilizing the contacts that you have. And people like what I do. They, they like the type of stuff that we present as a team of 10 to 12 of us. And, and that's how we've done it. The magazine's been around for three years now. So athletes, fashion, food, fitness, and all that type of stuff falls under it. So it's just, you know, so exciting. It looks great. I've looked at a couple of issues. And you, it's, yeah. you, you, but, but you're the first, like, fashion person we've had on the podcast. So I have something that I've been, like, <laughs> dying to ask a fashion person. Oh, nice. What do you think of the way they have evolved Ice T's style on SVU? Mm -hmm. oh, good like, question. He went from being, like you know, like really not divorced at all from his iced tea persona to be mm -hmm. like this deconstructed fashionista. Oh, don't forget in the middle there, they dressed him like a banker in a three-piece <laughs> exactly. suit. Exactly. There the was tail. that moment. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I think that knowing him, I mean, I don't know him personally, but we do have some of the same circles. He has a lot of input into how he's, you know, dressed. And once again, I think it lends itself that he has really embraced this like kind of athleisure style. That's that easy uh, New York style that has these great pieces that aren't too urban one way, but at the same time, um, really allow him to be, you know, very movable when he's going from one place to the other. I don't quite know where the banker suiting section came up from. <laughs> that might have been a, a different styling team. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes as a stylist, uh, you get a friend that has a hookup and you're able to go to a showroom. They're like, sure, what we need more of this. And you're like, okay, that's cool. And you're like, well, why is Ice-T going to a bank? I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> well, we all know Styling Munch was uh, pretty easy. It was pretty yeah, easy. Just black. So, Kimmy, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. So, I have two sets of detective teams. Um, a lot of people tell you I can never just choose one thing. I, from the CI side, I love Gorn and Eames. Mm. Um, I think that I just. I love them a lot. My boyfriend loves Goran. Like, he's obsessed with Goran. Um, and his uh, Twitter conversations with him from time to time are quite interesting. Yeah, no um, <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. And obviously, I'm a Benson and Stabler girl. Um, I like the whole did they or didn't they and, you know, always hoping that they would. And I love Maloney. Like, I love Maloney and anything that he's in. But obviously, Law & Order, it's my favorite. And do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I am all about McCoy and Kincaid, mm. without a doubt. Yep. OG, mm -hmm. like almost OG. Classic choice. Absolutely. I love how, you know, they were always on a little bit of a different strategy to get things done and the tension that was there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a girl that goes for a lot of tension, so... Did you enjoy her silk duet per duet suiting that she wore in like every episode ever that she appeared in? I mean, she she reminds me of an old school stylist friend of mine that used to do that all the time. And I was just like, really? You can't like pop something different? Could we go with a different color? What about a different fabrication? It, it nope. kind of was like, did, did she go to bed like that? Did she get up like that? Like. <laughs> All right, now let's look at the first half of this episode, Amaro's 180 SVU Season 15. The episode is listed as either Episode 10 or 11, depending on your service. Well, after a really shitty dinner party celebrating <laughs> Olivia's promotion to sergeant, Amaro and Rollins are walking home when a police foot chase crosses their path. Amaro follows an officer who just chased a kid with a gun into his own apartment. When he refuses to come out, the patrolwoman takes a bullet to the leg, and Amaro pulls the trigger until it goes click. He just shot a 14-year-old black boy, left him paralyzed, and now no one can find the gun the kid supposedly had. I had to shoot. She was down. You don't need to explain it to me, man. In fact, you might not want to. Nothing's privileged. I'm not sure that boy's going to make it. Let's let the doctors worry about that. Amaro is racked with guilt despite following his training. Young Yousef has been left paralyzed. Now Tucker from IAB is investigating Nick with, oh no, new partner Brian Cassidy, mm. Liv's boyfriend. <laughs> they quiz everyone about how much Amaro drank at the party and whether anyone actually saw a gun. Meantime, here comes Reverend Scott. He's telling the press the police shooting is racially motivated. Doesn't help that cell phone video turns up of Amaro sticking his weapon around a blind corner and it only gets worse when it's determined Officer McKenna was shot by a ricochet from her own weapon and Yousef never had a gun. Tucker takes Amaro's badge and places him under arrest. Okay, so we're celebrating Benson's promotion to sergeant. Mm. 
And even in a social setting, she's referring to people by their last name. Rollins, would you do the honors? You mean poor? Yes, and she's throwing her <laughs> own party for her own promotion in her own apartment. Congratulations and to her, me. And her boyfriend's not even home, which is like... So random and weird. Kind of shitty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kimmy, is this the thing they do in Manhattan? Is that, uh, congratulations to me, I'm going to throw myself a party, you have to come? Actually, sadly, yes. It, it happens a lot. <laughs> like, you have extras at home, maybe, you know, your mom came over or whatever, and they, they cooked a bunch of stuff, and you're like, well, I'm about to have a new job, why don't I just throw a party together? Um, it's, it's actually... <laughs> very common <laughs> um, the idea behind it is it's because other people will bring like maybe alcohol with them so maybe you can keep a couple of bottles but yes you find yourself making your own parties cleaning up the mess yourself and then hopefully you get a bottle for all your trouble but apparently everybody brought their sidearm well, apparently, like, everybody else who can't wait to leave. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Finn is like, okay, so how long do I have to stay? But then when they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, she's going to actually stay here. And then he's like, oh, it's a party now. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we see, um, you know, a, a pretty dramatic uh, opening. Remember, this is all before the opening credits where yeah. we see a, a, mm-hmm. a cop get hit by a car, yes. go through the windshield. And then no one ever asks about him ever again. Yeah, we, he's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> He just rolls off the glass and goes someplace. Right. Yeah, fine. yeah. So he runs into Amara. We follow Amara running into the hallway. Going in. No, wait, stop. You okay? What do we think of uh, Nick Amaro, action hero? I mean, Amaro. <sighs> He is probably one of my least favorite characters. Oh, no one has ever said that. (laughs) Yeah, he's just, it's always like womp womp, like the old Saturday Night Live where somebody's like, oh, this happened, but I didn't do whatever, womp womp. Mm -hmm. Like he's just so conflicted um, and and feeling very displaced. Uh, But as a superhero in this particular thing, I thought it was great. But at the same time, it's just everything with him is so forced. Everything is just always extra. He is the epitome of extra. Rebecca, what do you think of this action-packed sequence? I mean, this is a little out of character for SVU. A little out of character because they're rape cops, not like chasing people and shooting them cops. Like that, you know. He he talks a lot in this episode about my training just kicked in, and I'm like, what? Your training? Watching old men watch porn on the internet? That training? Like swabs or something like that? Yeah. No, but you know what's funny about this scene is. For all of the stuff we see the cops do later in the episode, which I'm just going to say it right now, is shady as shit. We literally watch all these cops who we Mm -hmm. love try to cover up this police shooting in the way that we always suspect that they do. Like, as the viewer following Nick through this scenario where he watched somebody get shot, he does his due diligence, he actually stops with the cop who just got run over by the car and he says, are you sure you saw a gun? Like, that would ever happen. Exactly. Like, right? So he does his due diligence. He he runs, he, you know, shoots. The, it does look like, to us, the viewer, like the other officer got shot. It all looks okay. And we mm-hmm. don't actually see how young the boy is until he's down. And then we see Nick save his life with a hotel key or credit card or whatever the hell that is. Yeah, I was like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's the American Express card. (laughs) Which I don't think he gets back, It's the the American Red Cross Express card. (laughs) Well, I like that he kept saying, oh, you saved his life. Yeah, but you shot him first. (laughs) Exactly. 
but it felt like no one was really sticking up for him. Like ever, like even um, the officer who gets shot, who is actually in Orange Is the New Black, mm-hmm. she was just like, "Oh, well, yeah, he did do that, I guess." And it's like, wait, you kind of saw what happened. He protected you. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's foreshadowing to future episodes, which you know we're not going to talk about on this show. But like right. that whole unit turns out to be super corrupt, right, Kevin? If you say so. (laughs) I will say yes on that. So we now know why boyfriend Cassidy was not at the dinner party. Why? Olivia told Eileen, Cragen's girlfriend, oh no, he's undercover right now, Mm. but he wasn't. Yeah. He was working the night shift on IAB. That's right. Um, And so just another way to bring Cassidy in. And this is in the period where they're having, you know, as one of our our guests once said, Cassidy looks like dog meat. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Cassidy looks in these episodes a little bit like he looks in those State Farm commercials he's in now. That's what I was just going to say. I kept watching him like mayhem like me. (laughs) I'm the piece of candy lying under your car seat (laughs) that you reach for before we get into the automobile wreck. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. I'm the unarmed kid running down the hallway with something shiny in his pocket. That's right. (laughs) Now, the writers are definitely not ignoring what was going on in New York City politics in 2014. de Blasio is the new mayor, Mm -hmm. and he's Mm -hmm. been calling for police accountability. The new mayor and his commissioner believe only IAB can conduct an independent investigation. Really, is that any time a cop fires or only when a teenage black kid gets shot? That's a good question. And so SVU is bringing this into their narrative does the show seem hostile to that view, or is it just showing a couple, some who are, some who aren't? What do you, Kimmy, let's start with you as the New Yorker. Well, I think it's actually a pretty good mix. I mean, during that time, there was a lot of those things taking place, and people were kind of trying to wonder, like, what was it going to be like under his administration? Because there was a divide. So you had this clash between really good cops and also those that were a little dubious. So looking back at that, and it's funny, I had seen the episode a few weeks ago, and I wasn't really thinking about it, but that's how it was in, in 2014. Everyone was pretty concerned because you just didn't know where people stood at that point, and everybody was just covering up for everyone. Here's here's what kind of bothered me about this episode, right? So you have the cops that we've come to know and love. So they're for us, they're supposed to be like our hero cops, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who were like the new mayor and they're saying it like a derisive way. And then yeah. the prosecutor who's supposed to be like the avatar for the quote new mayor is a super douche, or at least he's played that way. So basically this administration that's saying which, by the way, I think a lot of people would say is the right thing to do. Uh, stop and frisk is bad. It profiles mm-hmm. like only black people and like over polices yep. only in one community and has led to like a tremendous amount of like wrongful convictions and wrongful arrests. Like that's the right side. Mm-hmm. And this exactly. episode of this show is kind of like putting both sides of its feet on the wrong side of this social issue, which surprises me. Well, Kimmy, you like all three of the franchises, so you're very well versed. And, you know, if you go back even to the Law and Orders of the 90s, there have been a lot of episodes that are based on rip from the headline, police shooting Mm -hmm. incidents, uh, racially uh, charged uh, incidents, and... They, they seem to this seemed to me this particular time that the characters were more hostile to this idea, and, and maybe that's the way you know they they wanted to write it that way. But it seems like compared to like dozens of episodes in the past, 
that where they play it sort sort of even-handedly, where they show you a little of this and a little bit of that, all for dramatic effect. I was kind of surprised at um, you know how overtly hostile the characters are to mm-hmm. this idea of police reform. I just think that at the time when a lot of this was going on, people really didn't know how long would that administration really stick to that. Mm. So you didn't want to get used to the idea that, oh, okay, things are going to change and then they don't. Just politically, it was just a, it was a very interesting environment when, when he came in, he did a lot of different changes. Uh, in the midst of change, you may be nervous to go ahead and do something that's new because if it switches up, then you have a target on your back if everyone realizes, okay, we're not doing that anymore, but you went against us. Mm. So I think that might be like some of the tension. And, and during that time, it was just, there were a lot of things that he changed and, and you know, many people didn't think he was making a lot of friends and it was tough. It was tough for the first few months. And in many respects, even now, I think there are certain things that people still feel a certain kind of way about. But in the beginning, he had a, he was up. He was against a very big hill at that point. Yeah. And up against a hill like cops like Cragen, like all around good mm-hmm. guy saying about the 14 year old victim. Yousef, does he at least have a record? Uh, minor bus. Uh, does he at least have a record? Which is like that was a part of the episode where I was like, what? Well, I think we're probably seeing Cragen deciding. I had enough of this shit. I'm out of here. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready for my cruise of six months. Get me to like the end goal. I'm done. We have a parade of Hey, It's That Guys. Yeah. Hey, it's that guy. And uh, women. And women. Look, there are so many. I can't do the usual thing where I'm going to ask you to guess a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm just going to kind of, we're just going to kind of lightning round this a little bit. Okay. okay. All right. So first off, we have uh, our usual suspects here. Elizabeth Marvel as mm-hmm. Rita Calhoun, mm-hmm. Dean Winters as Cassidy, and Robert John Burke as Tucker. Mel Harris plays uh, Cragen's girlfriend, Eileen. Mm-hmm. Where do we know her from, Rebecca? 30-something. She was Hope on 30-something. That's right. Well, you're very sweet to invite me. Greg German is the prosecutor, uh, Derek Strauss. You poked your gun around the wall and started firing without looking, yes? Anybody know where he was from? Well, he's Ally McBeal and also Grey's Anatomy. Bygones. Bygones. Richard Fish and Ally McBeal, yes. Kathy Moriarty is Captain Tony Howard. I hate to ask, but I'm going to need your weapon. You know the drill. What is her claim to fame? Raging Bull. Right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, she was nominated yep. for an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a BAFTA mm. uh, as Vicky Lamata, wife to Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Uh, so, a patrol woman, McKenna, is played by Vicky Judy. When he was making the deal, I saw a flash of metal. Then in the hallway, I got hit by a bullet that he fired. Kimmy, you know who this is. Yes. Well, she's on Orange is the New Black, um, and I, I've styled her, so I love her. Um, but yeah, I was so I was like, well, wait, she was on that show. Yeah, she was Janae. She was the inmate who uh, misplaced the screwdriver. The oh, Piper yeah. was yeah, right. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay, uh, Jabenga Akinabe is Amaro's priest. Hmm. Maybe one lesson you can learn from this is why pride is a sin. Anyone recognize him? Nope. He looked familiar, but I couldn't place it. He is the leather suit wearing pimp Larry Brown on The Deuce. <laughs> oh, oh, I like that. Oh, I cannot wait till that show comes back on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we do see one person before they were famous. Before they were famous. Who, who played Reverend Curtis Scott? Anyone know? Leslie Odom Jr. That's right. You can't stop and frisk anymore, so now you shoot to stop. Famous for originating... 
Aaron Byrne Hamilton and responsible for your teenager singing I want to be in the room where it happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, anybody recognize ready? Teen number 2? Teen number 2. Literally teen number 2. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> we didn't see nothing. That's uh that's Jeremiah Richard Kraft. He's now a series regular on Marvel's Luke Cage. He plays DW Griffith. Mhm. Oh. Now, anyone know who played Yusef Barry? The zero lines, wheelchair rolling victim. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, went, they went to pains for him to not have any lines. Like, yeah. there, were, there were scenes where he could have had lines where they were like, shh, shh, shh don't say anything. That's right. He did it. <laughs> that, that, that is Aubrey Joseph, who now plays Cloak in Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Wow. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, now this wow. is where I would usually play a clip, but I can't. It's not, he didn't say anything. <laughs> Well, he was very expressive with his eyes. That's right. <laughs> he was. He I love was. eye acting. All right. Yeah. Are you ready for this one? Last one. Who played Grand Juror Number One? <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> one of those eye rolling, <laughs> no. like totally earnest Grand Jurors. No, the one who got to ask the question. Oh, the one who oh. was like, "Do you think it would have made a difference that night if you hadn't been drinking?" Anyone know? <laughs> I don't know. That's Tina Fabrique. You know what her claim to fame is? What? <laughs> she she sang the theme song to Reading Rainbow. Oh, what? butterfly oh, in oh, the wow. sky. Oh, that one. I love yes. that. That's a good song. Oh my god, it's a damn good song. She's got some pipes. She does. Okay, but that's random AF. <laughs> it's super random. <laughs> yeah, so, friend of the show Sarah D. Bunting has said that the writers really never knew what to do with the Amaro character <sighs> until just before they got rid of him. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> as they would sing, how do you solve a problem like Amaro? Are, are, are we supposed to like him, Rebecca? I don't fucking know. All I know is that I don't. And it, from the minute he yeah. comes on screen in this episode. I mean, really, the only time Amaro was likable is like when he's about to leave, when he's been like disgraced and he's on those crutches. And like that's the mm-hmm. only time he's ever like in any way redeemable. And this episode is a perfect example. Think about the cold open. Mm-hmm. He's in the gym. He's boxing. He's working out. He's angry about something because yep. he's always angry about something and then mm-hmm. Ice-T comes in and is like we got to go to Liv's for her party because she's been promoted to sergeant and then he continues punching the bag and you're like are you mad because the lady got the promotion Mr. <laughs> Anger Management yeah. or are you mad because it looks like she's going to be leaving like it's never articulated and then he has all these earnest scenes in the episode where we're supposed to think that like I just fell back on my training I did it was right like you want to believe him <laughs> but nothing about the rest of him makes you want to believe him yeah, I think that um, this is a guy, and it, I don't, I don't really fault Danny Pino, the actor, for you know what he was kind of handed to he's him. He's an okay actor, like especially his close-up shots mm-hmm. in this episode, like when he's on the stand and stuff. Like he does a fine job with the super shitty, unlikable material he's being given for sure. Yeah, I think he does, and we, we kind of laugh at this when we call it face acting. But I, <laughs> I, I think his expressions. <laughs> You know, over the over, you know, the years, you know, sort of this low tolerance for frustration uh, that you see on his face. I think he does that very well. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah. But, you know, the rest of it around him is kind of half baked. That's right. And and the way that he acts, I mean, maybe it's because he's just acting through the terrible role he's been given. Like, 
I don't blame. I mean, I kind of feel like the whole marriage breakup thing. It's like because of the way he acted the part. Like he's always just a simmering ball of rage, like just below the surface. Yeah. For no discernible reason. And in this episode, this one scene where he has a discernible reason to be a simmering ball of rage, like when those teenagers shoot through the windows of his house and his daughter's in there, and he goes outside mm-hmm. with the bat, and he he's no he's no more angry. With that bat than he is when he's just sitting in his desk <laughs> in the squad room. <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's talk about the second half of this episode. Amaro is represented by Uber defense attorney Rita Calhoun. He says he can't afford the bail, and if he can't afford bail, he definitely cannot afford Rita Calhoun. <laughs> <laughs> then you need to think a lot bigger than this. One PP is hanging you out to dry. They're making you the fall guy. Well, whatever you say. Nick. All of us have your back. With racial tensions running high, someone fires some shots through Amaro's window. For his safety, Benson invites Amaro to stay at her apartment with her boyfriend, Cassidy. Awkward. Oh, boy. It's okay, he's never home. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Right. The special prosecutor wants Amaro to plead to a hate crime. He refuses, but he knows that a grand jury indictment against him is the end of his career. Against the advice of his lawyer that he's paying a billion dollars for, he testifies at the grand jury. A juror asks the detective if he would have acted differently if he'd been chasing a white girl instead of a black boy. Amaro explains he's tortured because he was following his training and yet a team was left paralyzed. But faced with a similar situation, he'd do it again. And interpreting that answer to mean that he'd be shooting fewer people? (laughs) The grand jury (laughs) fails to indict. And what will the writers do with the last five minutes of this episode? Well, Craigan says, well, now that that shit with Amaro is over, I want to let you know I'm retiring. Right fucking now. (laughs) (laughs) The guy who never left the office says, I'm going to see the world with my non-dead, non-hooker girlfriend. Mm. Then he goes (laughs) back to his office, packs up 400 episodes worth of shit in one brown paper bag, and walks out of the Law & Order universe after 25 years. With a white paper bag. Which is totally not good continuity, law and order set designers. It had to handle, it had to handle. So is the best advice Benson gives Amaro to come back to his her apartment where the guy investigating him is like doing her in the other room? All I could think about was like, like let's just play this out, right? Let's say Amaro is indicted mm-hmm. and then is tried and then is on the stand. Like... Wouldn't there be like the most outstanding cross-examination about this investigation? Uh, Officer Amaro, where were you living during this investigation by the Internal Affairs Bureau? (laughs) Come on. And then there's that whole point of like when he was at home with him and he's like, oh, how's everything going? And it's like, well, what do you mean? Like you're investigating me. I'm now at your house. What what am I supposed to respond to you about? (laughs) How you doing? Not good, Cassidy. Not Not good. good. Yeah, so uh, some teens fire shots through his window. Where my daughter is! Yes. And Tucker shows up to him. Where my children play with their toys. (laughs) There was a little Godfather 2 in that, wasn't it? So Tucker shows up to investigate and he says, You can't do what you just did, but I would have done it. And yeah. even worse. Yeah. Really good there. Nice IAB work, Tucker. <laughs> nice job not being a hypocrite. It's kind of like in the same in the same episode where Cragen tells him... Uh, Nick, I can't make this decision for you, but have you thought about what your life would be like 
without your badge. I said before, I can't tell you what to do. If you take their plea, you won't be able to live with yourself. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, the Craigan's advice was... Mixed yeah. messages all around. Yeah, and, you know, whenever you see Tucker and Cassidy, like, walk in together, Benson's got to be like, I'm going to be doing him, I'm going to be doing him. <laughs> <laughs> it is hard to believe when is he Tucker in this episode like he is so old exactly like not that there's anything wrong with like getting with someone who's not in your generation uh-huh. but he is so old and he looks so old in this episode as opposed to dog meat Cassidy well dog meat Cassidy does not look great and Benson looks fantastic she's like the phase where she's wearing like the all black oh, yeah. all the time and she's mm-hmm. got that amazing like Burberry trench that she like sports half mm-hmm. of the episode by the way I know I talked about the parade of uh, fashion runway outerwear but can we just talk for a second I'm sorry Kevin I love it so much when I do this but at one point in this episode Calhoun is wearing a houndstooth winter coat with like yes. just a regular leather belt trenching it it is dope. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It is an amazing piece of outerwear for this show, which is saying something. I love that look. I mean, when it hits the fall, you see that look all the time. I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh, that is so chic. It's simple. It's effective. It looks really good. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Very good. We just hijacked your show. <laughs> hey, that's great. <laughs> so uh, when we see us some grand jury proceedings, we know that there's not going to be a trial, right? Well, uh, that's like seeing Gary Busey in the first scene. You're like, okay, we know who did this. Well, part. I kind of thought, I mean, even though I have seen this episode, full disclosure, at least 150 times. That's what that's yes. what makes the podcast so good. <laughs> um, there is a point at before Amaro testifies where you think like, here comes the indictment, because it is not going well. But then amazingly, Amaro himself douchebag of the day manages to turn that shit around. It's actually kind of incredible. Yeah, so we go into the grand jury room, Kimmy, and there's that woman who says to him, butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look. Let's throw the book. Let's throw the book. (laughs) A big indictment. (laughs) No, she actually says, So you honestly think you did everything right? There's no right way to shoot a 14-year-old boy, cripple him, put him in a wheelchair. I've always prided myself on following my training and my professionalism and respect for the law. Since that night, I've been struggling to reconcile how doing everything right could lead to such a horribly wrong result. If this terrible thing happened because you veered from your police training, the law says you're accountable for that. But if you didn't, and if you didn't veer, you're not. So basically what we're asking is, would you veer from your training in a different way so that to try to avoid a different regrettable outcome? Now, as as cold as it seems, it seems like the only answer you can give to that is, no, I would have to do it the same way. Right. Does that make sense or not? It did make sense. It's probably, honestly, in that particular exchange, he was the most likable for me at that point because he was just like, I own it. I would have done it the same way. And I was kind of like, oh, that, that kind of sucks because she was giving him some serious side eye. So. <laughs> there was a lot of side eye. <laughs> there was a lot of side eye, arms wrapped. 
Um, Although, did you see like after he gave his answer, there were people there like look like they had like their their fingers on their mouth going hmm, like really <laughs> kind of <laughs> con- they're like hmm, okay. a lot of <laughs> contemplation. Well, let me marinate on that a little bit. Well played, exactly. detective. Well played. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of tough because I agree with exactly what you said. If if someone poses that question, you almost don't have a choice to say something like that. Mm. Um, it's a pretty tough position to be in. It makes a difference though that we saw the scene, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It really did look to us, the viewer, like someone was shooting at that lady cop. It really did. Well, sure, Absolutely. she got shot in the leg. That's I mean, right. everybody assumed, well, That's right. who would have thought it was a ricochet that she shot herself? Exactly. And it, it's, exactly. it's different from when, say, Baltimore cops say, I was just following my training when the training includes let's plant drugs on this guy so we can arrest him. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, as a viewer, yes, the outcome is that he shot this young unarmed boy. Mm-hmm. But we right. see what clearly looks like cops getting shot. I mean, it does look that way as a viewer. And that's the one way in which this episode is clever, despite the many ways in which it's not, is that as the right. viewer, you... You see your your cop heroes doing all these super shitty things to help Amaro through this dubious situation in which, to me as a viewer, I'm like, no, he, he's going to be fine anyway because he actually like did act appropriately given what we saw. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, he does seem like really kind of heroic in the beginning. He he chases the you know, suspect on foot. He's able to pull uh, a patrol woman uh, to safety after mm-hmm. being, quote, being shot. He resists drinking the wine before he finally <laughs> gives in. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't his choice. That was peer pressure. Yeah. He even agreed that he would have taken um, the, the blood test immediately and not to wait. Like, there were steps that he did to make it make sense. Yeah, yeah but even after having those glasses of wine, he was going to give Rollins a ride to the train station. And I'm like, did you not see that episode where Claire Kincaid gave Briscoe a ride home? <laughs> it just does not turn out well. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Now, in a positive, yet unceremonious display. Mm. Cragen announces his retirement. Yes. I didn't want to announce this uh, until Nick's situation got resolved. But it's done, and so am I. I'm leaving. What? Now, who thought that the send-off was uh, was commiserate to the legacy of this character? Uh, the send-off was exactly <sighs> the same as the send-off that Dorothy and Oz <laughs> <laughs> gives to the Tin Man, the Lion... And the third person, whoever that was, uh, when she's going back to Kansas. It was exactly the same. Nick, you're going to get through all this. You're too good a cop and too good a man not to. Amanda, I was never sorry that I brought you up from Atlanta. I would do it again. And Finn, what can I say? For a guy who never should have been an SVU detective, you're okay. I'll miss you the most, Finn. The sort yeah. of shitty thing he said to Ice-T, which was like, you don't belong here. You never, someone who never <laughs> should have been an SVU, huh? What the fuck? 
o'clock. And it's like, wait, what? And then... Someone who never should have been hired for this job, there, Dick Wolf. There are all these other rando cops hanging around the squad room just like, who are part of the send-off? But to whom he right. says nothing? Yeah. It's a little yeah. bit awkward. Yeah, I had forgotten that part. He's like, right back at you, Captain. I'm like, no, he just totally, like, verbally demoted you in front of everybody. <laughs> I feel like that this could have been handled a little better. Mm. Because uh, this is a season where, where there's only about six episodes before this, Munch retires yeah. and he leaves the series. Yeah. And they have the, they build in this the beginning of the episode is his retirement party and yeah. they bring Meldrick mm-hmm. back from homicide as a, you know as a crossover mm-hmm. character and his ex-wives and everybody's there and you know it's sort of a fitting send-off for the Munch character yeah. who we know holds the record for being on the most television shows. But he's going to come back and babysit. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back and babysit. Right. Yeah, he's right. not it isn't like he's been killed off or something like that. Think about Cragen for a second. Starts on the very first season of the very first Law and yep. Order. And looks younger in this yeah, episode he, right, than he, he does kind of, back Exactly. He kind of Billy Buttons it. But next to <laughs> next to Esopathic Murkison, yep. Mariska Hargitay, uh-huh. and Ice-T, uh-huh. Dan Florek's Cragen right. is the fourth longest running character on that show and, and one of the longest yeah. running characters in primetime drama. Right, except that you just had the, mm-hmm. the two magic words. Yeah. Dan Florek. <laughs> I challenge you to ask any SVU fan what's the dude's name who plays Kragen. Like the way that he's like sort of just in the show. I think you ask somebody to spell it because they won't get the two ends <laughs> on his Danish right. first name. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode was inspired by the 2012 shooting death of 18-year-old Romali Graham. New York officers said they spotted Graham on the street with the butt of a handgun poking out of his waistband. No gun was ever recovered. They said they approached Graham and he ran into his apartment building. Video shows that he actually walked into his apartment building and officers tried to kick the building's front door in. The cops were let into the apartment by Graham's grandmother. Seeing the police, the man dashed for the bathroom to flush a bag of marijuana down the toilet. Officer Brian Haste claims he thought Graham had a weapon and shot the unarmed man once in the chest. The district attorney charged the officer with manslaughter, but that charge was later dropped when the judge ruled the grand jury received flawed instructions. In 2013, a new grand jury failed to indict Haste. 
In 2017, an internal review board determined Officer Haste used poor tactical judgment when he shot Graham. Haste submitted his resignation before he could be fired. Graham's family filed a lawsuit against the NYPD. The case was settled in 2015 for $3.9 million. Okay, so is anyone surprised that the grand jury failed to indict Officer Haste? No, that shit happens all the time. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, I would I'm agree. actually like yeah. not surprised they didn't that they failed to indict tomorrow. <laughs> no, yeah. no one was surprised about that. Now, Kimmy, you you lived in in New York at the time of this happened, I believe, right? Yeah, I mean, I I've been out here since 2001, so I I don't really remember this particular case, <laughs> um, but I do know of other ones, I guess, that are similar. I'm not be, I'm not being flipped, but I mean, this happens. So often, right? Does does it kind of bleed into one another? Yeah, because when I heard it at first, I was like, "Oh, okay, was that?" And then when you said the name, I'm like, "Oh, I guess it's that." But like you said, there, it does happen kind of a lot. So, I mean, even to this day, there's still things that are very similar to that that are happening every now and then. Yeah. So, yikes! There, there was sort <laughs> of one minor touch in in this episode that coincided with something that happened in the real life story and it, it's the use of video mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that it's much more powerful to hear to have an officer first say no we the guy ran away from us mm-hmm. right only later to be contradicted by video that shows the guy just walked away right and that's not what happened yeah. in this case I mean there's this there's this weird little moment in this episode where Amaro claims the video was edited because what he actually said was like the boy didn't speak English or whatever yeah Mm-hmm. But I think even when they're watching the video in this case and they're like, oh, it looks bad for you, Amaro, I'm still like, it doesn't look that bad. It still kind of looks like there were shots coming out at you. Yeah. yeah, it didn't look bad to me. And that you shot back out of self-defense. I mean, they definitely didn't put Amaro. I mean, we've seen other police shooting episodes of this show, including the one with Lieutenant Van Buren that arguably mm-hmm. look worse for the cop. Then this one looked for Amaro. This was a very sanitized uh, version of a police shooting a young black kid, especially and additionally sanitized by the fact that the cop he was with during the shooting was also black. That was that was an exactly. additional sanitized detail. Now, during the arraignment uh, of Officer Haste, dozens of uniformed officers filled the courtroom in support. Yet the brass did not think he was worthy of protection, having shown poor ta- poor tactical judgment. So, you know, the f- foot patrolmen are behind him. The guys who work inside and make these decisions aren't going to back him up. So where is the disconnect in the law enforcement community on that? In this case? Yeah, in this case. Well, uh, I guess it's the same in general, but right? That's, but that's but, unusual because I have to always. say, but like what you normally see is that like the union... Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, you rarely see, except in very rare instances, like there's some recent instances in California where this has happened, where like a chief will come out and say, like, my officer acted poorly and we fired him and now he's under investigation and potential prosecution. Right. Right? That's rare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It does seem like what we usually see is like this block of blue, like the brotherhood Mm -hmm. block. So... I think that's unusual, right? I don't know. I feel like a lot of times in the episodes, 
when there's other police departments um, that are interacting with the SVU unit, they, they just have a dislike for them in general. So there's always a little bit of angst there. So maybe that's where some of that came from. And obviously the, the team that was, you know, trying to uh, put this on Amaro, they definitely had it in just to like throw him under the bus. So I, I think that was just kind of the whole brew of that particular situation. Part of the issue with, you know, getting rid of officers who were, you know, in a bad shooting is that the process for terminating that officer is almost the same as trying to terminate him or her for chronic absenteeism. Right. Because because there are, you know, union contracts and other labor protections and, you know, a due process um, and a union rep. Yeah, which is aside from mm-hmm. the criminal right. proceedings. And I think, I don't know how many of us actually have a lot of faith that, you know, the the criminal justice system is going to come down on this. Because you have, to, I mean, it's, it's a fact that jurors are often very loath to hold officers responsible for things that they do in the line of duty. Right. Right uh, or wrong, right, right. right? So it's up to the brass to make this happen and to to take to heart the idea of reform at least in this one case with officer haste where they made the decision i you know i don't know the term is interesting poor tactical judgment Mm. saying that no you were Mm -hmm. trained to do this you're an idiot and you did the wrong thing (laughs) yeah and so that we're going to hold you accountable for that right i think that we need to see this happen this happen more often yeah yes we do Mm -hmm. and you know we need to see it happen less often what the union rep going to the hospital and saying, like, no, 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 no. Let's totally, like, fake the blood test by, like, yeah. stalling, stalling, stalling. Like, that stuff, that's troubling. And the weird thing about this episode is that, like, we're supposed to be rooting for that. Like, when they when they, when they exactly. when they catch the brother and it's like, oh, we decided not to tell the brass that we got him. We're just going to talk to him. And it's like, and then, and Mariska is like. You know we're not talking about an episode good anymore, job. right? I know. You know, we've moved on to real life. <laughs> but it's troubling. <laughs> but I keep trying to pull you back to real life. It is troubling. But it's, but it's troubling in the episode <sighs> and it's troubling in real life. And I don't think they did a good job uh, right, like, like walking on the right side of the moral line on this one. I'm just going to say it. SVU writers, you let me down. <laughs> well, because obviously they're going to ask the nurse, well, what was the time difference between when you took uh, the blood test and when he got there? And she's going to say it's 40 minutes or whatever. So I don't know what they felt that was giving him an advantage for. Just letting the blood kind of go down, I guess. The blood. <laughs> I know that part, but it's like the, the, the information is going to get out. They're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, he did take it. They're going to say, well, he took it, but it was 40 minutes later. So it's still going to look shady. So you're not really benefiting Amaro. That's right. That's right. Just go ahead and drink this little half plastic cup of water. You'll be fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Kimmy Smith. Kimmy, where can our listeners follow you online? Well, you can follow me on Instagram on she's.kimmy or Twitter, she's Kimmy. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? You can follow me in a much less stylish way <laughs> where I look like dog meat most of the time. I look like the like piece of gum in the State Farm insurance ads, just like Cassidy, on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. That's pretty harsh. You can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line 
design and editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are the Stories a Week Early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act, fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Media! Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.